0: I have just come back from the White Nile state in Sudan, which is a few hundred kilometers south of Khartoum, which, as you know, uh, where the fighting erupted in April. I'm not sure if all of our listeners know, but this is a war that erupted with no warning and turned previously peaceful Sudanese homes into cemeteries. What we're seeing is fighting is growing in scope, in brutality, and it's affecting the people. and What we're seeing is that the world is simply scandalously silent. What we're of course seeing is that violations of international humanitarian law persist with impunity. And it's shameful. It's shameful that the atrocities committed 20 years ago in Darfur can be happening again today with such little attention. And as a result of this, what we've seen is over 6 million people fleeing their homes. And 1.2 million people have fled to neighboring countries, whether it's Chad, whether it's South Sudan and Central African Republic.
1: So you've seen for yourself the scale of the displacement, the the number of people fleeing, and you spoke about Darfur as well over in the West. I don't even know if you can get to Darfur at the moment, but you mentioned those ethnic killings there that uh, seem to be repeating themselves now, but let's maybe get to Darfur later. But back to White Nile State, tell me what you're seeing in the refugee camps and particularly the impact of, what, several months of conflict since April the 15th, it uh, erupted, as you say, on children, you described some harrowing scenes outside refugee camps.
0: So in the White Nile state, I mentioned the numbers of people who are internally displaced, who have left their homes in Darfur and Khartoum. But it's also a state that hosts over 10 refugee camps. The country hosts 24 refugee camps. But in these 10 refugee camps that are in the White Nile state, I visited one specifically, and where the population was previously 30,000 people, and it has now doubled In numbers. So 60,000 people for a space that is really made for 30,000. And you can imagine the state that people came through from Khartoum, walking different types of transport uh, 400 kilometers down to reach some of these refugee camps. And what I saw was a health situation which was absolutely disastrous. What we've seen in the White Nile state is that more than 1,200 children under five have died between May and September alone due to a measles outbreak combined with incredibly high levels of malnutrition. And I must say, I met some of the parents who lost their children. It it was it was It was just overwhelming and so sad. I saw cemeteries, I saw in front of this refugee camp i visited these mounds of earth with little bodies that are lying there simply because we were not able to respond on time because we don't have the funds we are seeing a glimmer of hope daniel we all need a bit of this hope this number has gone down to five a week that's still unacceptable there is no reason that in 2023 that we should be seeing that number of children dying of malnutrition or measles.
1: Of course, that's a reflection of the breakdown of basic public services, of access for humanitarians such as yourself and the UN Refugee Agency. I mean, is it really true that half the population in Sudan, 25 million people, are a step away from famine?
0: I think what I can say is that the population And the people I met, I saw clear indication of malnutrition. And as the days pass, as the conflict continues, as the lack of resources, lack of jobs, there have not been any government salaries for the past seven months. I met nurses, I met fishermen, I met engineers, architects, everybody without a job, and just being hosted in schools, makeshift homes. I went to one school where I met this family, but it was more than a family. They were speaking to me, but in this one classroom, there were 40 women and children just living in this classroom for the past months. They have no more food or very little food. They have very little access to water and their security is at risk as well with what's happening in the rest of the country. They told me of stories of actually sending families back to their original home to see if there was a possibility to return home because their situation is so dire in displacement. And when they sent their husbands, their sons, back home, their husbands and sons never came back and they assumed that they died uh, going back to their homes. So the situation is absolutely desperate. And I think the first victims are children. And that's what I saw with my own eyes.
1: And the security the safety of these families is your paramount concern, obviously, and that's why they are sheltering in 24 refugee camps. Let's quickly move to the West, then, where those um, where there are reports of ethnically driven killings. There's the paramilitary forces that survivors who fled to Chad are saying are running rampant. So given that it's too dangerous, presumably, for humanitarians to be there— your fears must be being realized about the situation just escalating and getting worse.
0: Daniel, before I jump into that, I just would like to make something quite clear. Beyond the 24 refugee camps that there are across the country, there are, just in the White Nile State where I was, 360 different settlement for internally displaced people. So that it's, it's absolutely massive. And that was a week ago. I'm sure that today we're nearing more 400 settlements. And I met this woman called Fatma, an elderly lady whose husband died in Khartoum. She moved back to her home in the White Nile where she grew up. It's a mud house, very simple. She lives there with her son, who was an architect in Khartoum. And every night they're hosting 60 to 70 women and children who sleep on the floor. So the situation goes beyond the refugees that were there before, but just this massive internal displacement of 4.5 million people that are in complete desperate state and just asking for help, crying for help.
1: So looking ahead, what are the chances that this situation might ease. I know the reports coming out of the western part of the region in the Darfurs are very, very dire. I mean, there was a UN General Assembly meeting in September between regional governments and international organisations. What was the upshot of that? What can people expect from the United Nations and, and partners to try and alleviate this situation?
0: You know, I I read reports from the Deputy Special Representative to the Secretary General Clementine Kwata Salami from Port Sudan. And she wrote that she was profoundly disturbed by reports that Arab militias allied with the RSF are committing serious human rights violations, particularly in the West Darfur in the past few days. And the only solution right now, and this is very much what the UN and all of us are saying, is that we need and we welcome the resumption of the Jeddah talks. And the only hope at this point is to reach a ceasefire. People want to go home. They want to go back to their normal life. And unless that ceasefire happens, we're just going to see more and more families broken up, more and more children not going to school, seven months of no school for any child across the country. That has long-term consequences. So the only solution at this point is really a ceasefire. And this can happen. These are two men fighting and their armies, and it's impacting women and children. And a solution is possible. This is one of the countries where we can
1: see a solution.